ready for this? I got one thing to say. Just happen to be the greatest wrestling machine alive. It's all here. What a mega matchup! Universal Wrestling Podcast. I like this kind of party, baby. It doesn't matter what your name is. Welcome back to the Universal Wrestling Podcast. My name is Nick Dieterding, and we have a good one for you today. On today's episode, I welcome back. Former WWE creative writer Chris Dunn. This was one of my favorite interviews. And you know why? It was more of a conversation than an interview. It seemed like it was just two guys. Well, Tyler from Counter Out with Mike and Tyler joins us later in the show. But like I was saying, it's more like three guys shooting the shit, just talking about wrestling. It was uh it was a lot of fun. I don't think it gets any better than that. So without further ado, let's get to it. How did it feel to, uh, what, what, what was the article you were featured in? Uh, Ringside News. Ringside News, that's it. I'm so bad with those names. No, it's all good. They had like that. I was working with the Street Profits, which I was like before that. That's like the first time I was ever mentioned in a dirt sheet. Uh, How did that yeah, feel? Uh, like, it's really scary the first couple times. Like, you, it's such a, wrestling is so political. And so relationship based where, you know, you, you see your name and you get like, oh, you're not sure how, what other people are going to think. It's like, is that going to affect how I work with talent? Yep. Is that going to, how is that, is that going to impact how the heads of the company are going to look at me? Um, yeah. It really didn't matter when I was there. Uh, it was just like, but, and like when I left, like they actually kind of had it right that I, I quit other people. Yeah. Like, oh, he was like Bruce and I had an issue. I, I love Bruce. I texted Bruce like a couple weeks ago. <laughs> um, I didn't have Twitter at the time because I was like paranoid about having one when I was working there. Yeah. Which was probably dumb in retrospect. And it felt weird. Like I was like, yeah. somebody sent it to me and we we're like, you're on the news. And I looked at it and like it was a picture of Vince. Yeah. I was like, oh. but uh, but yeah, the article seemed fine. And, yeah. Like, I, I tweeted it so I can't like blame anyone for writing it. And like, yeah. I'll say this like with the, like when you're on the creative team, like you, the leaks drive you nuts. Yeah. Um, and you kind of know like who is leaking what to whom. Like, you know, there was a story like when one person was brought into the company. Okay. Um, I don't want to give it away who, but of course, yeah. It was kind of like brought up how like he was having issues internally yeah. and like, I, we all knew who leaked it because internally at this time, this person was saying it word for word <laughs> to whoever would listen. Yeah. But then you see like Meltzer reporter. It was like, well, we know who's talking to Meltzer. Yeah. And, you know, I, I don't envy those guys. Like, you know, uh, like they are, there is like a, a handful of people who know what's going on. Like know yeah. everything that's going on. You know, all the politics, you know, all these different things. Um, if a person with a big title yeah. at the company like tells you something is going on, um, you sh- you would think it's true. 
But a lot of times it's like people are giving partial information so they can control a narrative. At the end of the day, the business is a work, right? Like, so sometimes those like dirt cheap guys are getting work. I mean, we'll, we'll talk wrestling all episode, but what have you been up to since the last time we talked? What were you drinking? Um, I heard you pouring something. I made a, um, I made a uh, tequila and Diet Coke because my man. Yeah, I'm off carbs. Uh, okay, and doing like a doing keto. A Is that what it's called? Uh, yeah, close to that. It's like a my girlfriend and I, did, or I'm doing like a 75 day challenge. Cool. Um, try to get back in shape. Yeah, um, I've been doing. So, I've been trying to get back in shape for the past 20 years. <laughs> <laughs> it's so tough, like, man. It really yeah. is. What day are you on? Two. Oh shit! So yeah, you're, so it's <laughs> still going. Yeah, yeah. It kind of felt like wait till after the Super Bowl and wait till after Valentine's Day. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so uh, yeah. Sorry about that. Um, no. As you can see, like I'm very hungry. That's why I'm throwing back nuts. Um, but yeah, like what have I been up to? Uh, well, we talked in October. I did a show for Vice, uh, ten episodes uh, as a writer on that. Um, you know, so I did all the development, and then I, I wrote the uh, the scripts and the treatments for each episode. Uh, yeah. Uh, hopefully, there'll be more news on that to come. Cool. Um, and then I have a, a project in development with um, a production company that I'm really excited about. Um, hopefully, taking out the pitch in the next few months. Uh, yeah. We'll see any traction on it, and then uh, I'm also working on a podcast that we're uh, a scripted podcast. With Cavalry Media, uh, okay, you know, New York company run by from some former, you know, agents at CAA, uh, yeah. which has been fun so far. Uh, we're recording the audio for it uh, in about ten days, so it's going to be kind of a mad dash to the finish line, but should be a fun project. You know, WWE. I was I was writing TV and the, yeah, the Vice show like TV writer, and you know, I sold a show to Nat Geo that was you know you know, unscripted, but you kind of have to write the show still. Um, and then like, yeah, like I, I have a big comedy background. I'm one of the 27 uh, comedy writers that Tony Khan talked about. You know, I'm out there pitching my own projects and people will come to me to like develop projects that are scripted. And, yeah. you know, it's the reason I moved to LA and it's the reason I left WWE because I'm, I want to yeah. kind of transition to that. And it's been like, a, you know, a busy year, but like the, uh, the, the fruits of my labor of the last year are starting to pay off. Cool. Yeah, I guess it's, yeah, it's been 11 months now. So less than a year. What does a TV writer watch? Really what, what you're interested in. Like, I think, you know, a showrunner who was on blackish one time told me, uh, when I was younger and like learning about the business, like this, this person always recommended watching both the pilot and the second episode of a series to get kind of like, get a taste of it and like you should really watch everything or at least yeah. sample everything like you can't obviously watch everything but you should like know what's going on and know industry yeah. trends and you know if you're writing tv you should also like like tv um yeah. <laughs> you know right right now like show i love is abbott elementary on abc with quinta brunson from okay black lady sketch show that's great uh peacemakers fantastic yes you know uh, gemstones of the show i love anything day and the bride yeah um and and yeah like i i bounce around through all the shows now like my girlfriend are doing a rewatch of seinfeld okay uh, i'm a big fan of gruber so i've been slowly working through the series i've just been like a little 
little too slammed to actually like yeah something i want to binge so finding the time to actually binge that series has been hard but yeah yeah bouncing around and trying new things like i, I watched the sex on the seat reboot like i i um primarily just so i could like you know see what other television writers are doing yeah. not that i'm the audience for it what about uh tommy and pam i've been watching that with the uh, wife. i watched the first three episodes jeez it's uh, nuts like good nuts i like the i like the director a lot he did I yeah um and i like the whole cast too i am i'm interested like i guess the big complaint with that show is um it doesn't really you know focus that much at least yeah. the first three on pamela's story which is kind of like the big thing i'm still gonna i, I really do like i really do dig that director so i'm gonna keep keep watching all right let's talk some wrestling cody all right cool Cody's no longer with AEW. I mean, the building block, one of the building blocks to AEW. What are your thoughts? I mean, is there, first, what are your thoughts? And secondly, is there any chance he goes back to the WWE? Oh, I mean, I think it's a lock that he's going. Um, I think he's going to have a, he'll have a singles match at Mania. I, I don't think he's going to leave AEW for anything less than that. Like, you know, when you kind of look at him, like, not only is he an AEW star, he's a Turner star. He has, like, two shows on Turner. So making the choice to, to leave AEW has potential to impact that, too, in some ways. I won't be surprised if he's still on their shows. I won't be surprised if, like, off the, you know, the big show or whatever it's called, or the go big show, you know, the, the reality show is canceled. It's really interesting. Like it's a, a big move for WWE. It's a big move for him. Um, I, you know, I, I think it's more interesting as an industry story. Like I don't think I think AEW has signed too many people, and I don't think they're going to really miss a beat. And I think you've kind of really went as far as you could with Cody there. Like, yeah, um, you're having him put younger wrestlers over. So yeah, I think it'll be good for him. I think it'll be good for them. Um, but I don't think uh, I don't think AEW is going to miss a beat, and we'll see. I mean, do you book them in a title match, or is it just like, hey, throw him on the card? He's there. He's a name. He's a Rhodes. I don't think he's in a title match. Uh, I think he'll be put in a big, high-profile singles match. I know what I would do with him. Um, yeah. I don't know who the dancing partner is. Like, um, obviously the Shane stuff that went down threw off their plans. Yeah. So. Cody may be a replacement for that match. Yeah, um, it's a good point. But yeah, we'll we'll see we'll see what happens with it. Now, speaking of plans, do producers and writers do they like meet and discuss the match? So, like the way you kind of do it is like you know you gotta remember like you pitch this up. So okay, uh, you have your marching orders. So like a lot of times, like the producers will get to t- get the scripts over the weekend or get. You know, depending how nuts it is, you know, get Monday if it's a a raw or like, you know, a a Thursday night or a Friday morning if it's a SmackDown. Producers are assigned different matches, like writers are assigned different segments. The creative is usually like that's given to them is like, this is person's going over. There's this, you know, sometimes there's going to be a suggested spot in a match. But like a lot of times what we try to give them, not we anymore for me, but like at the time when I was at the company, like the pe- what people would give them essentially, the writing team was like, this is the, the story of the match. And then it's not like, you know, the producers to get with their talent over the weekend or before the day before and like 
run a couple ideas back and forth. So when you get to the production meeting day of, you pitch what what you envision the match to be. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. And kind of like throughout the day too, like you're working on it, you're in the ring, you're practicing, you're seeing what works and like you're, like you're, you know, practicing moves for camera stuff like that. And, you know, it can change during the day and, you know, writers can pitch moments and matches like, producers will pitch moments and promos or, or stories and you know producers do a lot more than writers but um for various reasons but um a lot of times like you know obviously like a writer has never been in the ring i felt like i probably pitched a little bit more physicality because i spent a lot of time at nxt and you know i was always around the coaches so you know i, yeah. I learned a lot um, when you're sitting in a room with like Hunter and Sean and Road Dog, that like, you pick up a lot of knowledge and like, you know, you, uh, but you know, even like, you know, in those moments though, it's like, I, I know a, like a one, one in a trillion compared to a, even like the pro- producer at the lowest level there. Well, I mean, I guess it goes for this, you know, for me too, like I'm a fan and I still see like what they do in the ring, but obviously it's from afar. I don't know exactly yeah. what they go through, but I can kind of tell to an extent, to an extent. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. Um, you, you brought up Shane. I mean, he was let go quietly. I don't know. That's just the rumors. I mean, does that happen? Like, can you, does Vince let go his son? I mean, it's just such an odd story, obviously rumors, dirt sheets, but what are your thoughts on that? It's a, it's a tough situation, right? Like, yeah. Yeah. It's family. So like, who knows? And like Shane was gone for like seven years at one point. That being said, like, you're not sure what speculation you're not sure what isn't. You know, the one thing I saw is like, you know, a lot of people talked about like Shane producing the rumble match this year. Every year I was at the company, I came back a couple months after I started working there a couple months after Shane came back. Yeah. He produced every uh, men's rumble match. Um, and back in his before he left the seven, seven years earlier, he had been producing the rumble match every year. And usually like you assign like three to four producers on, on the rumble. Um, but he had been involved every year I was there. So that was like nothing new. Like it wasn't a big change. Yeah. Um, you know, like that being said, like, you know, Shane probably wanted to make himself look good. Like anyone in that situation would like you yeah. know for yourself. And like, you know, I, uh, Shane can be tough at times, but he can also be good at times. Like Shane was really good when I started the company about like talking to younger writers and giving them advice and giving them, you know, feedback and like teaching them about the business. Same thing with younger talent. Like when Corbin was starting out, like he was giving Corbin a lot of advice. Um, And he, you know, during raw underground, like he, that was a very, I had nothing to do with that. That was a very tough thing to pull off, especially during COVID. Dude, I loved it. Really? Yeah. It was so different. (laughs) One of the few, right? (laughs) Oh, yeah. But um, jokes aside, like, you know, Shane was, like, really good about getting my stuff done. So, like, I have nothing bad to say about Shane. Like, I, if it wasn't working out, it wasn't working out. And, yeah, like, I wouldn't be surprised if, like, he was rubbing people the wrong way. But everybody in wrestling rubs the the wrong way. Well, that's crazy. I didn't know he produced that many Rumble matches. I mean, there's been a lot of great Rumble matches, yeah. And by the way, like when you do that, like it's like you are with 
oh yeah multiple producers yeah so, you said that in the last episode it's not just one person yeah it is and uh like you are producing that like four to six weeks out um and like for the writing team like you know the writers at wwe they're usually the most successful um are the ones who started there as assistants for various reasons like one of the best things that could happen to any writer is being an assistant and being in those rumble meetings because like you're sitting there you're with like michael hayes or adam pierce or shane or who have you jamie noble abyss um abyss you're learning and you're learning and you're learning and you're learning psychology and it helps you that's amazing stories even the 24 7 stuff now with truth is awesome i mean the whole valentine's thing at the at the 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 diner or the whatever the restaurant i don't know i laughed i was laughing i I thought it was really good and even tamina she's been there forever and it's just i don't know it's good shit yeah the good thing about that is like if you you know people look down on it like i know some of the people who were involved in it like were irritated edges comments like last year but like it gets you on TV every week yeah, and it gets you to develop a character. Like yeah, Tawa is always going to be on TV because you need to fill a three hour show and it's a, a vehicle for entertainment. Exactly. Like Dana Brooke, like Dana, up until this point, the best thing Dana Brooke's ever done was being Charlotte's project. Yeah. And like the, the value in that is like when you have, a person like Dana at the time who can bump for your heel. So you protect your heel who doesn't have to take the bumps. Yeah. It's very valuable. And it's like that, you know, that like year run was like every, every like made her so incredibly valuable. She was such, she was the one of the most important vital parts of the show. Yeah. Because she was protecting Charlotte. Yeah. Um, but in between that, like, you know, it's been tough for her because it's, it's there, it's tough there. It's, a, yeah. it's very competitive and like she is a very charismatic person yeah she's a very fun person really just one of the kindest people there and like you know the 24 7 title gave her an opportunity to show her personality exactly and grow as a character and yeah. grow as a performer and like you know the, the the talents that are like kind of looked down doing the comedy stuff or the entertainment stuff like you know, John Cena did a lot of it. So oh, yeah. Rock. And like, obviously, like not everyone's going to be that. Yeah. But it is a opportunity to grow as a performer and have a longer lifespan at the company. When yeah. they talk, when people are getting released left and right, the more value you bring, the more likely you are of a spot. Because, you know, what? like the idea that you can get like released to go to AEW, that's not really going to be happening anymore. Like Cody's not there. Yeah. Like he didn't like if the option is true of like not picking up the two-year option, like you can only have so many people on a show. So you just have to be as valuable as possible. Yeah. I mean, even like she's, she's still getting over Dana. I'm going back to Dana. Yeah. The whole thing with like Corey Graves. Did you hear that? I did. He was on commentary and he was just like bad math and her. It's like, dude, you're there to get her over. I know he's a heel. I know he's a heel. I get that. I get that. But still, JBL didn't do that. He, you know, he was a heel, but he also got that person over. I don't know. I think Corey's excellent at his job. I think in that situation, it's something I uh, 
I probably would have gone a different route. Yeah, me too. Um, and I think I think that became more real life than storyline. Yeah. Uh, but you also have to understand too, from Corey's point of view, he's doing a three hour show every week and he has somebody, he has multiple people in his ear. Good point. Like it's 52 weeks a year. It's like yeah. over 150 hours a year. Yeah. Without taking into account pay-per-views or his podcast. Yeah. So it's like, you know, sometimes like you get bored with it and you need to try like what's interesting. Yeah. Um, but you know, so you also have to take into account like the people that may be watching the show for the first time or people that yeah. check in here or there and like what's the objective of the story. Speaking of Charlotte, speaking of Brock, is there still, in your opinion, is there anyone that still has that creative control that could just do what they want? I guess you kind of have to like look is like what is creative control? Like, yeah. like a lot of the times, like when you every every talent should have ideas if they don't like you're you're in the wrong business like it's (laughs) it's a tough thing because like you're dealing with like the element of like you're trying to put the show on at the end of the day like you're you're building your top person and everything down from that but you're trying to fill multiple hours um and everyone has a different role but it's also like talent shop to get themselves over they just can't rely on the writers they just can't rely on vince or or the producers so every talent should and i think like the good talent like are a lot of times will go into vince and like if they don't feel something they'll pitch it and a lot of times like vince will go talent's idea even if he may not have liked it originally because they're the one that has to perform it. They're the one that has to feel it. And I think like different talent, like has different amount of cachet, like Brock is Brock, you know, it's uh, so I worked a lot with Seth Rollins and a lot of times he would go like towards my, the end of my time there. And like, he was never mean about creative. He was also, he was very, he's probably like out of anyone on the show. He understands the whole WWE ecosystem so well. And he understands what you're trying to accomplish throughout the full show. Yeah. Um, and he would work within that while also trying to make his story the best as possible and getting himself and his, whoever his count dance partner was at the time over. But like he would go into Vince and like they would talk and sometimes he would sell Vince. Other times Vince was like, no, this is how we're doing it. But like, that's how the whole Cesaro story came last year. Like, you know, the creative wasn't great that we were originally going in for Seth's return, like, and like, we kind of spent the day talking about it and like, you know, uh, like that's like, we were like, all right, like, how do we do it? And like, we talked about a bunch of options and like, we're like, all right, Cesaro's the best one. And like, then Seth, because like, he's a leader, like went in and pitched it and sold it. And like, you know, got Cesaro into WrestleMania. That match had like such high expectations because both those guys work rates and like, I think internally they're they're two of the best people in the whole wrestling business. Yeah. So uh, I kind of been happier as a even though I just left as a fan of both of them as like performers and people. But yeah. So like everyone, anybody can go pitch to Vince. Yeah. People are afraid to because and want like you know the writers or the producers to be the messenger. Huh. But um, I think the people that kind of go in and understand what you're trying to accomplish and have something thought out best pitch is always going to win and or at least like in the in, in vince's mind best pitch is going to win it may not be the best pitch but yeah you know it, and uh, but if the person sells it in a way and believes it yeah essentially everyone could have creative control yeah like that's why like you see you see things that like don't make sense like you know lower lower like 
the whole the whole reason like those when I got to the company, I got to the company after those shining star vignettes happened. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That was all talent going to Vince and pitching it. And like that was like money and that was people like going and like shooting them off site yeah. and traveling. Like they weren't cheap, but that was like talent no. going and like making their case. And, and it was look like, at house party, like they went into Vince all the time. And like they got stuff on the show. Yeah. Um, because they pitched. So I think it's like, you know, people can, I think it's like, I, I think creative control has like a weird connotation. I think it's just like, yeah, you know, anybody has, everyone has a voice. Let's talk about it. Stone Cold Steve Austin. The rumor is after 19 years, he's going to return. Maybe go against KO. Stunner for stunner. Do you believe the hype? What is this? What do you think? Uh, you know, it's interesting. I never thought he would get cleared. To oh, us. yeah. That's a great point. I didn't think about that. Yeah. But I thought, I never thought Edge would. And I never thought Daniel Oh, yeah. Would. Duh. Um, I think there's a lot of smoke. And when there's a lot of smoke, there's fire. I mean, listen, we just spent a lot of time talking about dirt sheets. All I know is, like, I, I'm excited for it. I don't watch every week. I told, like, I told, I, had a, I was in a meeting yesterday and it came up and, uh, or I brought it up because we were talking about like old wrestling because uh, it was like a general with a network. And they were like, oh, you used to work at WWE. I loved Austin. I was like, he might be coming back. It'll be interesting to see what happens. Like, I, I hope it is Kevin because Kevin deserves yes. that big of a spot. Uh, there are a few people like Kevin. I was such a huge fan of Kevin Owens coming into WWE uh, when I started the company. And I left an even bigger fan than him. He is yes. such an amazing performer. Um, I wish, uh, he, I hope, you know, sooner than later, he gets the, you know, universal or world, world title again. Yes. Um, I worked with Austin once. Yeah. On a 316 day. It was the first raw, um, during the pandemic. Um, oh, you shut down. Yeah. It was, I spent the whole day of Austin and Vince and it was wild. I've told the, I've told this story on a podcast before, but like he's a, he's a great guy. And like, uh, he was very nice. And like, uh, it was, it was great, like great creatively yeah. being with him and hearing his thoughts on the business. And like, we really got along like smashingly. So, you know, uh, at the end of the night, like Becky and Austin have a moment. There's a beer bath, and then oh like, yeah, so, yeah. And then like we have the street profits on standby in case like we needed more time. So we did something for social, which was awesome. The profits and Becky and and so cold. And it was great. Like I think like when you watch Austin, like he's not really drinking the beers. It's a work, you know. Like yeah. it's look like, at his shirt. Yeah, exactly. So like, but, like when you watch the clip, like Becky's. <laughs> definitely drinking these beers so, yeah. um but at, like the end of the day like it was such like a it was such a tough time because like nobody knew what the hell was going on with COVID. yeah and it was so so scary and like you know that day like i got to like live a childhood dream and like yeah that's becky and the prophets had so much fun doing it mm-hmm. and in addition to that like uh like there were all these like, you know, his IPAs were left over and I went up to him and I was like, Hey, <laughs> what do you want me to do with these? And obviously like I was hinting, Hey, do you want to have a beer? Yeah. You know, you're not really, I, I it would be a faux pas for me to flat out ask. <laughs> um, and he was like, Oh, you can just take them back to the hotel. Yeah. Uh, so 
But yeah, it was cool. Hopefully, hopefully he's back and hopefully he gets to have this one match and hopefully physically uh yeah. safe while doing it. Yeah. Um, and I think Kevin, if, if if the match is KO, uh, you know, yes. good for KO, he deserves it. Yeah. Well, the one thing I I respect so much from Stone Cold is like he left. Like he he took his ball and he went home and he never came back. A lot of people come back and it's like, uh, come on. You don't come on, but he left and it's like, okay, I respect that, but come on. Like, yeah, I mean, I don't know how much of it's like, you know, physically, he may not have been able to come back. I, yeah, there's no, at the end of the day, like this business is about like making money. He may have had issues with the Brock match, right? Back in the day, but like there was, there was going to be enough money at some point for a Hogan Austin match. Yeah. Um, during the punk days when punk's wearing that shirt, like if Austin could get cleared, of course, like I, oh I, God. Yeah, I would predict he would have done the match because of the payday and like this WrestleMania in at Cowboys stadium, you know, is a, like that is a very big stadium, uh, even for any WrestleMania. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure the payday is going to be massive and, you know, hopefully he gets to do a really good story. And like Kev, if, if Kevin's the guy, like, which, you know, for him doing the Texas anti-Texas gimmick the other night, <laughs> it sure seems like it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, ho- hopefully he, uh, I would love for it to happen for Kevin. Chris, meet my buddy, Tyler. Hey, Tyler, how are you? How you doing? Sorry for my tardiness, gentlemen. Chris, we spoke cool. a little on Twitter about the rumble. Um, what do you think of Brock and Rhonda? I mean... It, it definitely felt like Roman and Brock have been on a collision course for Mania. Yeah. So I wasn't really surprised about the Brock part. And at the end of the day, I think that's like, it is what it is. Yeah. Uh, I was, you know, I'll be frank. Like I, I, yeah. I only met Rhonda like once or twice and she was nothing but like lovely and nice and like probably the best athlete in WWE. Um, but I was kind of bummed that she was back. I feel like, yeah, you know, like uh, the biggest issue the company has is building new stars and like hmm. what, you know, you, you love and it's like, is for, you know, somebody outside of Brock to take the title off of Roman. Yeah. I think, I don't know if like, there's really that next star to do that at the moment. It seems like though, you know, there are some people in NXT in a couple of years who could really kind of take the torch. Yeah. Um, but like, there's nobody right now to take the torch from Roman. Yeah. I think there are more people on the, I think there's more talent on the women's roster. And the issue when you have somebody like Ronda is, and the same thing with like a Goldberg or a Brock, but like, you know, those guys aren't going to be, on TV every week is you have to feed them talent. Yeah. Um, and they have to look dominant. Um, so you're going to essentially like run through a lot of your women's roster. And like Rhonda was there for a year and we sacrificed a lot of talent for her. I don't know how long she's there for, um, but you're going to have to do that again. And it feels like there's enough talent currently in the women's division where you can kind of grow that next star uh, it feels like Bianca should be the next star, obviously. Yes. Biased, but like, hopefully, you know, you know, you're able to service Rhonda without 
destroying any new talent. So like, how do you both build Ronda? Like it's a, it's a very tough thing to do about like have Ronda, like Ronda, but also (laughs) like not bury people. And it's just like, I, I don't think Ronda is a big enough draw at this point to justify it. Damn. And to be fair though, like, you know, before Brock came back, I would say the same thing about Brock. Yeah. But I think the good thing was like Brock came back and did something different. Yeah. Well, it's um, that amazing storyline. Yeah. It's an amazing Brock, story. Yeah. And like Brock has never been better. So it's like a very, it's something that people care about. Yeah. Um, you know, we'll see, we'll see with Ronda, but um, you know, it was like, it was very hard and creative last time with, with her there. Yeah. It's like, you're you you are going to feed a whole women's division to her to make her look good and is it worth it for if you are a company that hasn't really made that many stars there are new stars over the last few years yeah um and i I don't think it's worth it i don't think it's worth it financially or you know for the numbers she draws but um yeah but you know if she comes and does something different like i would have said the same thing about brock so yeah. hopefully she does something cool and um and that's good do you think yeah. that it's weird chris that they uh that they brought ronda back and paired her with charlotte because you like i know it's gonna be a great match but you just said the biggest problem they're having is making new stars i think it would have been better to pair her up with somebody like rhea ripley who's really, you know, kind of lost in the shuffle on Monday Night Raw right now and, and try to give her that uh, rub? Well, like, do you have Rhea go over on? I would put Rio. I think it would help Rhea a lot. Yeah, you know, it would. Ronda? Like, you also have to take in the human element, too, of, like, is Ronda coming back to put over Rhea Ripley? No. Yeah. Is she going to come back to put Charlotte over, do you think, though? Like, does Charlotte, like Charlotte doesn't need it. She's the greatest woman's wrestler on the roster. She is, but my, my assumption is Ronda's going to go. You think yeah. so? Oh, I would love that. Because I, I, I want to see Ronda and Becky eventually. They, they've teased it for us for years. And I, I was really surprised that they went with Charlotte. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, uh, you're going to get that match at one point And, like, the, uh, you know, like, you're kind of being worked, right? Like, it's yes. the longer you can hold withhold the match, the more meaningful the match is going to become. Um and, and yeah, like, I think, you know, I, Ronda and Charlotte's a big money match. Um, I'm hopeful that it's going to be Bianca and Becky and Bianca gets made in that match. And then you mm-hmm. can, you can move on to Becky and Ronda from there. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I would, I don't think Rhea's ready for that type of spot. Uh, mm-hmm. I think, you know, I think she could have used a little bit more time at NXT, uh, just cause like, you know, she is very young, mm. um, and you know, she's still developing her character. She's doing it on in a big spotlight and on a big stage. And like, if it, if it was me, I would try to keep Rhea as far away from Rhonda as possible just to protect Rhea because yeah. there are only so many Rhea Ripley's. I'd rather her start to reach her potential before going to Rhonda. Yeah, because Rhea, like Rhea, has all the tools to like be the face of the women's division. She just needs time to grow and like get her stuff down. But you have to protect her too. Yeah. You know, there's there's reasons. Everyone always thinks like this is what we should do. Let's fancy book this. Let's fancy book that. But there are reasons <laughs> not to do stuff. Like 
Yeah. Why doesn't like this talent work out? Well, like when they were at NXT, they like didn't go to English classes. You're paying for classes yeah. for a person and they're not showing up to them. Like yeah. somebody who I won't name, you know, other people like, Oh, why isn't this person in this match yet? Well, like they may not be ready for that match. Yeah. It makes like, sense. It, you have to understand the talent you're working with and you have to understand their strengths and their limitations. Yeah. And you have to work around their limitations. It's kind of like, you know, like in football and like, this is really basic football stuff, but like, well, if you, if you don't have a good running back and your O-line can't, you know, run block, you're going to pass a lot. And like if you're, if they can't pass block, you're going to show a lot, throw a lot of short short routes. Yeah. So, so your quarterback doesn't get hit. I'm a Cincinnati um, Bengals fan, so I know all about that. All too. Yeah. So, <laughs> exactly. So it's like, yeah, you know, like you have to do, you have to think each, each wrestler on the roster is an asset. And how do you maximize their value? Because like once you, once you mess up with them, you mess up with them. Yeah. Now, like, People can turn it around. Like when I got to the company, the hottest storyline for my first like two months there was like the Heath Slater free agent stuff. Um, he was like in the ring with Brock and Randy Orton and all these people yeah. and it was like really over. Which but, was great. So, like, yeah. So like six weeks of TV can really change things. But mm-hmm. like, you know, and obviously that did not last, but that's just like a, a short example of how somebody can go from like the bottom to a to become very popular or the most popular story on TV in a short amount of time. Bobby Lashley. That, that's what I think of when I think that he was doing this stuff with Lana and Rusev and oh, it was yeah. like, what's going on? And now, and now all of a sudden they just put it behind him and he's been a great world champion, right? Who? Bobby Lashley. Oh yeah. Like, you know, you, you put Lashley with MVP. Who's the, who's by far and away the man of the mm. movie. Yeah. Um, and you know, like I, I worked on a lot of the hurt business stuff when that started, and like, you know, that like MVP was great. They all looked great in those suits. Like when they would drop the suits at the top of the ramp, it would be so it's just yeah. so cool. And you know, it can like Lashley was always like hovering around, like reaching his potential. Like, yeah, going with MVP really was such a game changer bringing what they did to impact or TNA or wherever it was at the time over. And so, yeah, like if you do it right, but like there are some people that like, if you, if you do it that badly, the credibility is lost forever. You know, you've, you spent many years in the company. Do you have any personal favorite Royal Rumble stories from your time behind the scenes? Any fun stories? Cause the Rumble is one of the most exciting pay-per-views of the year. No, I mean, with, unless you're really a writer's assistant, like it's, that's like the one of the best nights of the year for writers because it's like there's a lot of stuff that you're not looped into. Um, it's probably like a lot of writers are more in the dark about that match than any other match over the year. Yeah. So you get to really enjoy it as a fan. Um, I really loved my first one in, in 2017 um, that Randy won. And, you know, I love the stuff the bar did in that match. Um, you know, Jericho and, you know, doing the doing the umbrella uh you know uh the umbrella thing with Gallagher. um and also too like i think that's like a really a really smart rumble to watch if you want to learn about wrestling psychology like you know at one point if like you look who's like brock is in the ring goldberg's in the ring with 
a lot of people, if you look who's in the ring with those, with Brock and Goldberg in those moments, like it's people that can take bumps and make them look good mm-hmm. and protect them and make them look at like they are yeah. these world dominant beasts. And like, you can't see it. It's just like, Oh, like these, these are the people to make that. Like it's a, it takes more. It's not just one wrestler who makes themselves. It takes the people they work with in the ring. And like, that's a good rumble to watch. I think yeah. from, um, from yeah, a that's good one. Now, Steve made an appearance at this rumble. Did you ever get to interact with any celebrities? Um, yeah, a bunch of them. I, I was doing a lot Let's of Let's hear it. I think like my favorite one was doing the Ryan Felipe stuff with um Kurt Hawkins and Mojo. Okay. Uh like we had Kurt pop into the frame really weirdly. It was like when he was doing <laughs> the Walker Texas Rangers stuff. Yeah. He just like the fact that we got away with it, it was in Detroit, which it was a, at the time a very tough arena um, in the old arena there to do TV. Uh, the fact that we got away with it on TV was like very awesome. Yeah. And then I did like a, I, I, cause I was doing a lot of the R Truth 24 7 stuff. I was in New Year's Eve, or I was in Times Square on New Year's Eve uh, when, you know, Truth did the 24 7 thing on Fox. Um, and spent a lot like we, it was me, Hurricane Truth, uh, Mojo, I believe, was there. Elias, um, Mojo had to be there because Gronk and his girlfriend were there. Um, and like, you know, you, you did the title change live on Fox, and there was a guitar oh, yeah. shot, and like, you know, Truth got the title back, he, he ran off. And, you know, I was, I was getting truth out of there and make sure he's protected. And it was like a crazy, like trying to produce something in Times Square on New Year's Eve is wild. And like the rehearsal for it day of was very truncated and yeah. rushed. And like, you know, when you do those rehearsals, you have to think about safety, right? Like we're doing this on in Times yeah. Square on concrete. So it was just like, please, no one hit their head uh, when you do a roll up. Um, but like we ran off and we did it and it was awesome. Fox was really happy. And Steve Harvey uh, <laughs> pulled myself and truth aside. Really, really truthfully. He stopped both of us. Yeah. And he, he goes, he was like, Hey man, to truth, you are one bad motherfucker. <laughs> uh, I love it. Yeah. It really, it really made truth night. And like we, um, he, he has had me tell that story a bunch because I was the only witness to it. <laughs> um but yeah it was just like it was just awesome and like yeah. you know and then like you know I, I got to meet um i got to meet truth's wife for the first time and have like a really fun time hanging out with hurricane i got to really know him and it was just good it was like right after two we had done like all the the santa claus christmas uh yes. and off sites um with truth and tozawa uh, and it was just like yeah. it was a really special fun time. Yeah, it seems like there's a bond with you and Truth. I know you were just on the Comic Book Club podcast. Yeah, you were there. You were discussing Truth and Truth's birthday. How was that? Uh, your Comic Book Club is an awesome show. If you're into any you know fanboy stuff, uh, it was a a show that started at the People's Improv Theater in New okay. York. 
um, and was really popular there. Like for their first anniversary show, Seth Meyers did it with Bill Hader. Cool. Um, so it's always an awesome show. And like, um, yeah, like I, I want to talk about truth just cause like, I think sometimes people forget about truth, but yeah. he's been wrestling, uh, in his, 20s 30s 40s and now 50s in wwe and you know the reason i want on that one is just like you know the fan base for that is they're like they're thinking like peacemaker with cena or the rock or batista um maybe there are a lot of wrestling fans that you know listen to comic club but there are ones that don't and you know i just really want to promote promote my friend and just like take a second to say like you know 50s big age and like truth is a person who you know has changed his life and is one of the kindest people you ever met, one of the most talented people you ever met. You know, I've worked with a lot of people in comedy. I've worked with a lot of big names in comedy. I left WWE and it was time to go. And, uh, you know, five years is a very long time. Uh, and the turnover rate's very high. It's 15 weeks a year. It's really draining. Um, and you gotta love it to be there for a while. And I, I made my decision to leave and to kind of pers- like try to do other things that I want to accomplish as a writer and as creative. And the only times I ever think about going back are primarily because of like truth and the prophets and Bianca, but like the 24 seven stuff's hard for me to watch sometimes just cause like, not cause it's bad. Like they, like the raw writing team is really good with talented, talented people who I really admire. And it's yeah. such an impressive group. Um, but like, just cause I miss doing the 24 seven stuff. Uh, really, yeah, I really enjoyed the 24-hour stuff. The 24-7 stuff with Mike and Maria was back in the early days of the title. I thought it was yeah. really entertaining stuff. Yeah, that was. I wasn't really. I don't think I worked on any of the Mike and Maria stuff. That was interesting. That was bold. Uh, yeah. Uh, but I think like doing the title change at um, the OBGYN. Oh yeah. Uh, um, was. What was it? It was uh, some good Paul Heyman right there. Well, that was part one of this two-part series. Part two drops next week. Stay tuned for more information on that. Thank you, Chris. Thank you, Tyler, for coming on. I will see you next week right here on the Universal Wrestling Podcast. What do we got here? Take it away. Where can we find you? Everything's over uh, at Counted Out 7. Instagram, Twitter. We just celebrated our 100th episode with uh, TJ Wilson. We got uh, Jacques Rougeau coming on for an interview soon. So, you know, we've had Bill Apter, Nikita Koloff, you name it. But our bread and butter is the top seven countdown. We do a different countdown every week, talking a lot of the history of professional wrestling. It's a total honor to be here with both of you guys. Nick, as always, great job. And Chris, it was great getting to meet you, man. Like I said, open invite to come on and and promote uh, anything you're doing with that leukemia charity. Yeah, let's do it. And you can find us on Twitter at the UW Pod and Instagram at UW Podcast. Peace. 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 Thank you for listening to another edition of the Universal Wrestling Podcast. Check us out on the web at uwpod.com. You've got mail. Or send us an email. We really don't know what we're dealing with here, man. Info at uwpod.com. Universal Wrestling Podcast. Nobody does it better.